All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are wrapping up our week following the Falcons week two win against the Carolina Panthers by answering your listener questions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for a very long time at FalcFans.com, on Twitter at FalcFans, and of course the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. Today is a Q&A episode. I have finally sat down and looked at the All-22, and uh, you guys sent in questions. Most of these come from Twitter, a couple from email, and uh, let's uh, jump right into it. All right, the first one is a very long Twitter storm from uh, Scott Ramsey at X Never Broken X on Twitter. He says, I, like you, am a complete football nerd. Part of that is listening intently to every word Dan Quinn says in his press conferences. My question is this Dan Quinn showers praise on two players in particular that I just do not get Vic Beasley and Duke Riley. Dan went as far as to say Duke had 10 tackles in Sunday's game. This may be true, but is he watching the same game? Vic has been non-existent ghost this season, and Duke is by far the biggest liability on our defense, in my opinion. Do you think Dan Quinn in reality realizes these things and is just praising him for the media's sake? As a coach, that would be a prudent thing to do, but in actuality, in actual reality, do you think he knows and believes that they are seriously lacking in production thus far this season? I ask this because there are serious personnel decisions to be made. Duke can't be our defense signal caller until week 11 and play as badly as he did. And Steven means he has to offer a moderate upgrade to Vic Beasley. But these things keep happening. What is it going to take for DQ to make the necessary adjustments on defense? Without Keanu and Dion, we are crippled, seriously crippled. I have no, almost no expectations for this patchwork defense with the exception of the secondary. But it could be better. If logic prevailed, it could be at least be better. At least that's how I see it. Oh, a lot of, lot of things on your, your mind, Scott. Uh, first off, I, think, I don't think you're ever going to see Dan Quinn throw a player under the bus. That's you know you saw Mike Zimmer sort of throw his rookie kicker under the bus when they cut him this week. Uh, I don't think you're ever going to see Dan Quinn do that. So he's always about positivity. So in that sense, I wouldn't suggest hanging on every word during his press conferences. Secondly, I don't necessarily think the issue is with Duke Riley calling the defense. I think he's done that in three of the last four games, and I think you know if you don't count the preseason finale. And I don't think that's really been a major issue. The, to me, the issue with Riley is that he's not conceptually understanding what the Falcons are trying to do on a given play on defense, as well as he's not really understanding how offenses are attacking their the defense. And I'll give you two examples of that. That fourth down scramble that Cam had this past week where Riley was spying him, and in that situation he sort of abandoned his spiral when, when Cam sort of dropped back to throw because he didn't really have anything to do. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily grasping that it's a fourth and four and and Cam Newton can very much run the football in that situation. And so basically the minute Riley turned his back to Cam, Cam tucked it and ran. And of course, you know, Dirty DeMonte came and made Cam pay for that decision. But, you know, you have to understand in that situation, you have to understand situational football that in that situation, 
Cam Newton is a running threat, and to lose track of him in that critical situation is very problematic. So, you know, I would point that out. The second example is the Panthers kept attacking Riley's zone uh, by basically running a tight end through it and then having a wide receiver or a running back sort of settle in behind it um, over the middle with some sort of crossing route or some sort of curl or something like that. And, you know, Riley was technically doing his job. Basically, like when someone runs through your zone, it, it kind of switches to man coverage. And you're supposed to follow that guy or carry that guy through your zone. Um, and so he was doing that. But what he should have understood, especially after it probably happened the third or fourth time, and it seemed to happen at least four or five times in the Panthers game, is that the, the Panthers are using that tight end to you know move him. And what he needs to do is make the adjustment that to release the tight end in some of those instances when there's a strong safety or free safety there, that can pick him up and not completely abandon his zone. And, you know, the first touchdown was an example of the Panthers using that against the Falcons. And there were several times in the second half when they were sort of mounting their comeback that they also attacked that. And, you know, I think he has to understand that the what the Panthers offense is trying to do conceptually is trying to get him to vacate his zone. And they're basically baiting him every time by having that tight end cross his zone. And he's falling for the bait every single time. And, you know, you can occasionally take the bait. That's acceptable to a certain extent. Uh, but if you do it every single time, that's going to be very problematic. And I think this is, goes back to one of the criticisms I had of Duke Riley in the preseason, uh, which is he's kind of robotic. And, you know, in that sense, he's like he can understand and follow simple uh, instructions. He can follow simple concepts like, oh, tight end runs through my zone. I follow him. Um, but when you get to more complicated things like what the Panthers were trying to do, that's where he sort of loses it. And that's where he sort of loses sort of the big picture thing. Um, and I, I think those things are correctable. And we'll have to see over the next couple of weeks whether or not he makes those corrections, whether the coaching staff gets him to make those corrections. Uh, if he does make those corrections and improve in that, then I think there's still very much hope for his long-term future in Atlanta as a potential starter. If not, then basically you're looking at a guy that may wind up just being Leroy Reynolds 2.0 or something like that. Um, I thought Foye Olakun did a pretty good job in a limited sample size when he was playing in coverage. Um, I hope we get to see a little bit more of an expanded role from him this week in nickel. Uh, maybe get a couple of series, uh, not necessarily fully replacing Riley. But uh, I think people have to be a little patient with this regard. You know, when Deion Jones came to the Falcons in 2016, he had the whole summer to prepare to call the defense. Riley now with a year under his belt is, you know, basically had a year to sort of prepare. And Ola Kuhn's basically had like three weeks basically since maybe, you know, they might have started getting him ready um, once Deion Jones had his first injury during training camp. I mean, yeah, during training camp. Um, so I think it's going to take a couple more games. I think, you know, with some expanded reps, seeing how he handles those also seeing how well and, and how much improvement, if any, Riley shows in that frame of time. You know, I think you also have the option that you can potentially plug Corey Nelson in in a couple of weeks once he's up to speed and, and comfortable with sort of things. So, again, I, I think there's patience. I think, you know, immediately people want these sort of results and, like, to just, like, flip a switch and, and, and fix these problems. And I just think when you have these young players – 
that's just not realistic. And I don't think that's the approach the Falcons are taking it. The Falcons obviously have a vested interest in both Riley and Foye Olakun developing for this team. And I think you have to understand that to in and by understanding that you understand that the coaching staff is not going to necessarily be like, oh, Duke Riley hasn't played as well as we have wanted him to play this early in the season. Just give up and, and move on and, and bench him and just make him into a special teams player. Now, that could be a possibility down the road, but I don't think it's going to happen next week. I don't think it's going to happen this week. So I just think people have to be a little bit patient and, and, and with several of these guys that is not necessarily the Falcons are going to have this whole thing figured out. As for Steven Means, I think we're going to see him this week because I'm not confident at all that Tack's going to play this weekend. And I think if he d- performs well in Tack's absence, whether it's just this game or the next couple of games, then I think you, there's a realistic expectation that he's going to be part of a three-man rotation like we've had the last couple of years with with Tack and Claiborne and Vic and with Vic and, and Freeney and, and others uh, in Claiborne back in 2016. And, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't panic about Beasley right now. He's he's basically going to play. Uh, th- there's just no way that they're going to bench him, given his sort of his quote unquote pedigree of leading the NFL in sacks two years ago. Uh, whether you th- you you think that was a title that he earned, I'm sure longtime listeners know how I sort of feel about that. Um, but you know, like they're just not going to abandon ship on Vic Beasley. So any major decisions about Vic Beasley's future are going to be made in the offseason, not during the season. He's going to play. The The question is whether or not Stephen Means is going to show enough in whatever limited action he gets in the near future to basically be a regular part of the rotation. And, like, you know, the comparison would be he would be the Freeney or he would be what Tack was last year. Um, so that's the question, not necessarily whether or not, like, Vic Beasley's going to not play or, or something like that. That's just not going to happen. Well, we got more questions to come, guys, but first I want to remind you guys that fantasy football is underway, and there are two new fantasy football shows for you on the Locked On Podcast Network. First up, we have Locked On Fantasy Football 24-7, giving you all the latest news, waiver suggestions, and injury news. You can also check out Locked On Fantasy Football, because that is now Locked On Fantasy Football experts with amazing guests. On Mondays, you have Tom Kessenick. Tuesdays, Eric Edholm, and Wednesdays, get your fantasy fix with Jeff Ratcliffe and Tyler Lochner. All right, our next questions come from Vienna Falcons. How do you, how should, how will and how should the Falcons prevent Kamar from having 15 of 16 catches for 150 yards and one drop? And KXI at Zan Sumrall on Twitter asks, how do you expect the Falcons to cover Kamara? Do you see them putting all their faith in Duke on this one? Um, to answer Vienna's question, I have no idea how the Falcons prevent it. Um, I think if you play man, the Saints will take advantage of that by using man beaters and rub routes and swing passage and screens and the switch concept, which you have the, Kamara running a wheel route when it's paired with sort of an in-breaking route, like a slant from an outside receiver or whatever. And, and that's just going to burn you. You're just... There's just no way the Falcons are going to be able to handle that. That's just the truth. I think if you play zone, then you have to sort of rely on, you know, sort of the what we did last week with McCaffrey, which is a lot of sort of short passes, and you have to rally to the ball and whatnot. And, you know, the difference is, unlike McCaffrey, 
Kamara is much more effective after contact. Um, so even if you do do a good job corralling him, he's still liable to break those tackles and 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 get out of the, get out of that um, and, and and make moves in space. Um, the other thing is that you're going to see Kamara split out wide more than the Panthers typically do with McCaffrey. And uh, when that happens, my expectation is we'll see Ricardo Allen play him. Um, but when he's lined up in the backfield, it's going to be a lot more of the linebackers, and that does include Duke Riley. We'll, we'll have to see how it goes. But, look, it, you know, if if you have Alvin Kamara on your fantasy team, I, I, I tell you guys, you got to start him. Like that whole nonsense that some Falcon fans have, where it's like, I, I never play guys that are playing against the Falcons. I'm like, no, don't be stupid. If you have money involved in your fantasy football league, please don't be stupid. The Falcons have already ruined your lives enough, at least to make some money for all the heartache that they have given you. So, yeah, play play Kamara. When we coming up, we have guys like Chris Thompson and Zeke Elliott and Saquon Barkley. You got to play all these running backs because they are going to feast against the Falcons defense. And even if Deion Jones and Keanu were healthy, you would still have a high volume of those guys making plays in the passing game because we saw that last year with guys like Montgomery and LaShawn McCoy as as well. And so that's just something you know. I'm 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 begging you guys play that guy if you have him. Uh, next question is from the dude at Dude Order on Twitter. When will Dion be back? Well, the earliest he can come back is Week 11 against Dallas. Uh, given that the rules of short-term IR means that the player has to miss eight weeks, the good thing is that he's allowed to start practicing again after six weeks if he's cleared. Uh, so that's going to be the main thing to monitor. My assumption, again, I'm talking a little bit out of my butt here, but my assumption is that once Dion Jones returns to practice. At most, you'll see him practice for a week and then maybe come back the following week, or he might practice and then come back the week after that. So you just basically need to monitor when he practices. If he's uh, practicing, you know, after six weeks, six weeks from now, then you know you can be very optimistic that he'll play in that Dallas game. If it if we're at week ten or week eleven and he hasn't practiced yet, then you know it might be a little longer than that. Our next question comes from. KXI Zan Sumrall. He asks, what matchups on offense are you expecting Sark to take advantage of? This week, I think, you know, the Ken Crawley is sort of the Saints' biggest weak link on that defense. Uh, I thought Crawley played pretty well last season, but he has struggled so far this year, particularly against the deep ball. Uh, Deshaun Jackson beat him like a drum in week one. He also gave up a deep ball to Antonio Callaway at the end of last week's game against the Browns, which should have been the game winner if the kicker hadn't missed the extra point. Um, but, you know, in defense of King Crawley, if I can do so, that was more just a perfect throw by Tyrod Taylor. There was just no defense for that. But um, I think, you know, we saw the Falcons have some success against King Crawley in that first Saints game last year. They used uh, Sanu on a bunch of crossers, uh, which is one of the four routes that Sanu is good at. Uh, Minnesota also did that to, with King Crawley against, uh, with, uh, Stephon Diggs in the NFC championship game. So I think, you know, you get some new crossers, maybe get some Ridley crossers as we saw last week, as well as a couple of deep balls of Ridley. I don't, I don't know if Ridley's really that sort of take the top off of defense burner. He hasn't really seemed like that guy on film quite yet, but like we know he has that speed, but he just hasn't been really asked to, to show it. Um, but maybe this is the week for him to break that out. But you also have Marvin Hall in the mix as well, who, who definitely has that sort of uh, vertical speed. 
Um, so I think, I think you attack King Crawley. I think the linebackers are also vulnerable. Uh, they do have more athleticism there than they've had in your past uh, with Davis and Teo and Anzalone and A.J. Klein. But um, I think you can get those guys to bite on play action and use that against them. Also get some one-on-ones with Tevin Coleman as well as maybe Ido Smith. Uh, the Saints like to play a lot of man coverage. I think you can sort of run a lot of man beaters, some rubs, some stacks, you know, those sorts of things. Um, I think the Falcons will have opportunities. I think, you know, it's just a matter of whether they execute it. Uh, I think they have a well, you know, they could, the potential is there for a well-designed game plan and a well-executed game plan. I think the Falcons shouldn't have major issues dropping 30 points on the Saints. And if they do that, then obviously they'll be in a position to win this game. All right, guys, still got some more questions to come. But uh, before we get there, I want to let you guys know that the Locked On Podcast Network is expanding with college shows. Coming this week, you have Locked On Wolverines, Locked On Buckeyes, and Locked On Seminoles. Plus, we are already Locked On Ducks, Nittany Lions, Bears, Crimson Tide, Wildcats, Razorbacks, Volunteers, and Cougars. Find your favorite college team on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, we got another one from Vienna Falcons. Is it possible to have a negative number of sacks? How many of those will Vic Beasley have this week versus the Saints? Let's go with negative two. Uh, I don't expect Vic Beasley to give Ryan Ranchak, the Saints right tackle, much problems. I don't expect him when he gets opportunities to rush against Teron Armstrong, much problems. So, uh, I think if, if we're going to see Vic Beasley be affected this week, it's going to come on stunts and twists, uh, which has been pretty much the case for Vic Beasley since that Rams game in 2016. Like he just, you know, since he beat Rob Havenstein like a, a drum in that game, he just really hasn't beat another offensive tackle since then. It's just all cleanup sacks and, and stunts and twists. That's basically all it is. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's going to change this week. Uh, Vienna Falcons also asks, have you, we seen Ridley so far in a stacked release would be an interesting recall to throw. I imagine he'd be great fit in such formations since they hide the biggest weakness, physicality, and opens up his strength route running. Yes, we did get to see him in a stacked, uh, release that stack concept that I referred to earlier when using man beaters. Uh, that was on the play where Dante Jackson had the phantom pass interference uh, where they ran a stack release with Ridley behind uh, Austin Hooper, and Ridley ran a out. And uh, Jackson gave Ridley a little bit of that nudge in the back as he was turning, and uh, he fell down, and, you know, it wasn't necessarily a great call, but understandably the officials see a guy, see contact and see a guy fall, they think, oh, that was major contact. What the officials don't realize is Calvin Ridley can be blown down by a, a, a the wind. Uh, you know, you... He is a leaf, basically. <laughs> we talk about that. We talked about that when you know, and and, and Marco, aka Vienna Falcons, mentioned his lack of physicality. So you know, that's just further evidence of, of what we've been talking about now for the last couple of months. But hey, you know, I'll take it. I don't care. You know, if 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 Ridley getting knocked around draws, you know, an, an exorbitant, an exorbitant, whatever that word is, uh, amount of penalties of defensive pass interference and illegal contact penalties, I'll take it, you know. So, fine by me. 
but yeah, going back to the stat concepts, yeah, I think that's a good way of featuring Ridley, and I think we'll see more of that as the year wears on. You know, hopefully we'll get to see it more this week as well. Uh, our last question comes from Riley Street. He sent it in via email to lockedonfalcons at mail.com, and it is in the event that we were to lose DeMonte Casey again or when he needs a breather, do you feel the lesser of two evils is to have Richards on the field or Oliver? I know Isaiah Oliver struggled in preseason, but he's also supposed to be the future. I know Richards left something to be desired in his play last Sunday, and I'm assuming that if you were to choose Oliver, possibly Poole would become the other safety. Thoughts? Um, I think right now, I think Richards is the lesser of two evils. Um, I think eventually we might say that's Oliver, but until we've seen him play and see improved ability and coverage, I don't think why you would think that. If he's getting roasted by fourth-string wide receivers from Kansas City, what do you think he's going to do when you put him on the field against Michael Thomas or A.J. Green? You know, like, uh, like I feel like I'd much feel more confident with Jordan Richards' ability to cover Ben Watson or Tyler Eifert than I do with Isaiah Oliver in those situations at this point. But I do think you're right. Like, you know, there is a way to put pool at safety. He has, he does have experience playing safety. He did play single high for the Falcons in addition to playing nickel cornerback in his rookie preseason back in 2016. So it's not as if he couldn't make that transition and pool is certainly a, a smarter and, and, and good enough player to make that transition relatively easy. I think if, if the Falcons asked him to, but, um, I just think right now, you know, we haven't seen enough of Oliver to feel confident that he's ready to play. But I'm hoping that now that he's healthy, we will get to sort of see him get integrated into the defense. Uh, not necessarily this week, but, you know, slowly and surely as the season wears on. We saw that a little bit with Jalen Collins during his rookie year, during those like first six or so games when Phillip Adams was the nickel cornerback. But you would see Collins get some work in some of those early games. Uh, and then eventually by midseason was sort of the nickel cornerback, and then Adams took over in the, in the back third of, of the season. But, um, you know, I think that's a, a method that the Falcons could use to, to get Oliver, at least get his feet wet, and see potentially that, you know, after a couple of games of doing that, maybe then he might be the lesser of two evils. But at the same time, you know, by the time that you, you reach that point, maybe Jordan Richards' play will have improved and he might have grown on you by that point where uh, he still is the lesser of two evils or the, the greater of two goods at that point, maybe. Who knows? Um, but guys, that is it for today's q and I appreciate everybody for sending in their questions. Uh, we will be back on Monday with a rapid reaction uh, to this upcoming Saints game uh, with the Falcons on Sunday. And in the meantime, if you want to send in your uh, questions for a future mailbag episode, a future Q&A that we're almost certainly going to do at some point next week, either Thursday or Friday. Certainly you can send them in like Riley did on email, lockedonfalcons at mail.com. You can do so as what others like Vienna Falcons and KXI, uh, etc. did on Twitter at Falcfans and Locked On Falcons. That's the show's Twitter handle. It's just if you send it to Locked On Falcons, I'm going to automatically know that's a mailbag question. That's a podcast-related question as opposed to sending it over to Falcons. Uh, but you could do what Scott did and said, 
And in the tweet he sent the file fans, he said for the podcast, it was in the first of like 12 tweets that he sent <laughs> to file fans to make up his question. But uh, you also can check us out on Facebook at Locked on Falcons there. Give us a like while you're there. And uh, you can leave a comment at FalcFans.com where the podcast is posted daily as well. So uh, until then, guys. You are Locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.